Welcome back to the Doing Well by Doing Good podcast, where we highlight the companies aiming to be profitable with a purpose. I'm your host, Anand, and today we're talking to Ahmad Wani, the CEO and co-founder of One Concern, a San Francisco Bay Area-based AI for natural disaster company, and full disclosure, the company that I currently work for. Welcome, Ahmad. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Anand, for having me. Um, so why don't we just jump right in? Um, tell us a little bit about your founding journey. How did you get to where you are today? Okay, so I'm an entrepreneur by complete accident. And um, I came to the United States to pursue my master's and PhD um, in something called earthquake engineering, which is a real field. And um, one concern was kind of my future PhD project. And me and my, my colleagues, Nicole and Tim, um, ended up starting this uh, full time as, as a company. And it was a complete accident that I was visiting back home and I got caught in a flood. Um, happened to be one of the lucky ones to survive and tell the story. But, but really, it kind of opened my eyes in terms of A, the, the global nature of how disasters really uh, cripple societies and, and, and economies. Um, and then also the opportunity which, uh, which lies ahead of us, uh, especially with the advent of digital and AI. Mm -hmm. And you know, what advice did you get along the way? Any resources that helped you? What, what were the major challenges that, that you faced up until this point? Oh, that's an interesting question. <laughs> um, up until this point, okay. I, I think... Um, I think every day is so many challenges. So let, let me kind of break them down a little bit, right? So pre-founding uh, the company, you, you need to be convinced that you are good enough and the idea is good enough. And then, you know, you are, you have an Indian background, so you have to have the, the ability to tell your parents and convince them that you're not <laughs> going to get a coveted PhD from Stanford, but instead, you know, go rogue. And that's a, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Right. Exactly. So, so that was a that was a big hurdle, um, but but uh, you know, really when we when we did get started, I feel we, we're not in a very traditional market. We were not, uh, you know, we were trying to. My, my initial instinct was, you know, the people I was, you know, on that rooftop in Kashmir trying to trying to figure out whether I can live or die in this flood in 2014. I I was seeing these helicopters. Uh, you know, trying to rescue people. So my initial instinct was governments are going to be the primary user. Mm -hmm. So my initial pitch deck was focused on GovTech and, and governments being the only user. Right. And so I distinctly remember a meeting where the venture capitalist, a very respected one, mm -hmm. actually ended the meeting in near about four and a half to five minutes and quite literally threw us out of their office. <laughs> Um, and so as soon as I used to utter the word earthquake or disasters and government, they used to basically say, you are a disaster and please leave. And there is no, there is no business and there is no market. Mm -hmm. So I feel like initially figuring out and, and getting the right set of people uh, to believe in the vision and the mission was, was key. So that was, I feel, a, a big hurdle. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah, well, I think well, that's a great segue maybe into the next question because 
and I know it sounds a little bit silly coming coming from me. Obviously, I, I work at the company. But uh, what is One Concern's mission? One Concern's mission is to make disasters less disastrous. The way we plan to do that is by what we call as planetary scale resilience with three lenses of safety, sustainability, and equity. Fundamentally, what we believe is that in the advent of an ever-changing world, uh, we, we are now witnessing uh, one of the biggest disruptions the world has ever seen, COVID-19. And we are going to witness even more ramifications of, of climate change, um, which is a chronic stress which the world is now under, undergoing and is going to continue to undergo in the next few decades. Mm-hmm. We feel that there is an ability for, for one concern uh, to be able to educate uh, the end users, whether it's private companies, whether it's cities, um, uh, or whether it's you know somebody walking on the road, uh, to be able to understand what it means for them, for their business, for their city, for their livelihoods, for their safety, and how can they then take the necessary actions to get ahead of that um, disruption or, or that risk? Okay, and so, uh, and we'll get to this in a little bit, a little bit later into the doing well and doing good part of uh, the podcast. But sticking on the mission part, how do you create a culture that embodies that mission every day? I think it's you need to live your 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 mission every day, of course, right? right. So, um, and it starts with people. So you need to be able to surround yourselves with the right people and uh, making sure that you're able to clearly communicate what your core values are. Mm-hmm. Um, now, a big part of what we do, we have to be uh, the, the, a big part of that is is trust, is, is building trust with our customers um, uh, because the, the systems which we provide can have huge and far-reaching implications on their short-term, but as well as on their long-term decision-making, which can affect both their business, but also their safety. So we want to be able to embody, for example, a mission of being intellectually honest and embodying and, and, and trust in, in our systems. And that is just one of the many things where, you know, the core values which we embody can have far-reaching implications to the customer and the decisions which they make. So I feel it, it starts by sort of having a set of clearly defined core values which align with your product, with your market, with really what you are trying to do in terms of your mission and, and really making sure that you have a clear set of uh, communication as well as accountability to make sure that your team members live by those core values. Mm-hmm. Right. And so in that case, these are the core values that you look for in candidates and in, in partners uh, in people that, that you work with as a whole. Yes. Um, I, I feel, to be honest, COVID-19 has put a mirror in front of all of us mm-hmm. um, and core values um, and, and really the focus on people and customers is going to be more important than ever. I feel like um, the, the last few weeks to months has clearly shown how it's not necessarily that the tech companies lack some of these core values in the way they operate, uh, mm-hmm. whether it's whether it's inequity, whether it's lack of diversity. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
I feel tech companies might be the inequity creating machines uh, or, right. or industries where inequity actually is created. Mm-hmm. So I feel it is our responsibility to, 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 to really hold a mirror in front of ourselves and really take a deeper look in terms of how do we actually operationalize these core values because everybody has core values, but only a few companies are able to sort of really deeply operationalize them and recruiting is, is one of the areas mm-hmm. uh, where, where we can operationalize it. Performance goals is another way right. you could actually operationalize that. Like making sure the performance goals align with the mission and and then making sure that that's, that continues. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, open question, like how many companies do you know where your variable comp is actually tied to you actually adhering to some of these core values. Right. Uh, whether your team feels that you are actually a good manager yeah. and you are exemplifying some of the core values which are written on the walls. Mm-hmm. I don't know of many companies yeah, or any pretty tough. who are actually trying to do that. Yep. Uh, I would like for one concern to be doing that. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. So then embodying it requires operationalization and by operationalizing it, you can then um, embody that mission continually. Right. You need to put, you know, I mean, you need to put the money where your mouth is, right? Like right. if you're actually saying core value, core value, then would rather start by operationalizing them. And it starts from the people within. Then you mm-hmm. can figure out how do you operationalize them with your, your customers and the broader set of stakeholders, thought leadership. But I feel that's secondary. First, we need to right. kind of fix our shops because I feel technology might be a big cause of, of these inequities. Yep. Yeah. Um, I, I know we could go on. We can go on forever on this. You know, I I, I just want to unpopular opinion. <laughs> That's the opinion. <laughs> <laughs> right. One uh, one thing that just stood out to me was being an employee at one concern. You know, I think one thing that stands out to me is being resilient, right? And and right now during COVID, being resilient is such a big part of of every single thing we do, right? I mean, if we're not resilient, we won't we won't be able to survive. We won't be able to get through life. And so that's one of the values that, you know, certainly I, I hold very dear. Um, and I know that that's one of the examples where you say, here's the mission of the company, right, which is to be resilient and, you know, planetary scale resilience, but then kind of flipping it and saying, okay, now how do we embody it? Well, we embody it as people by being resilient. Uh, and at this time, especially during COVID, it's, it's uh, more important than ever. Absolutely. I mean, like any other company at our stage, we are trying to right now figure out our remote in quotes remote strategy mm-hmm. you know an easy option could be hey we are at the behest of the san mateo health department so right. let's extend another three months and then another two months and another three months until we feel convinced that we can go back to the office but if you think about it from a resiliency standpoint we might want to actually figure out like hey if there is a forget covid19 but what if there is a covid 2021 we are going to be still down on our knees and locked in our homes with safety, but also psychosocial implications on our team and our customers. Mm-hmm. So getting ahead of it would really entail, you know, how do you now set up processes that, number one, help you get back on your feet as it relates to reopening, but then also make sure that going forward, you don't really you know, you're not backward looking, but now you are foreseeing some of the 
different things which could happen in terms of in, some, in terms of disruption disrupting your workforce and coming up with a with a remote work strategy would therefore require us to first be resilient as a, as a company and right. then sort of profess the mission of resiliency more broadly yep so it's like each individual is resilient then the company becomes resilient then we can make other people resilient too then we can make a claim to make other people resilient <laughs> exactly <laughs> Uh, all right, cool. Well, I I think um, you know we can move on to another part, which is you know again the podcast is doing well by doing good, and so we'll start actually with doing well. So you know the, one concern is a venture backed business, uh, and so uh, you know one question that I always ask is what makes the business of one concern sustainable both in the short term and long term, and what is the business model. So one concerns business model is being able to sell what we call as resilience as a service software or solutions um, to end users or owners of the risk. Mm-hmm. Um, the risk which we measure is called business interruption risk or business resiliency. Mm-hmm. And the owners could be anybody uh, like the city of Seattle or the government of the Western Japan city called Kumamoto, mm-hmm. or it could be a, a large Fortune 10 um, oil company. Got it. And so in terms of uh, making money, you would be selling a software product. And then uh, is there any other revenue stream or another way that uh, one concern would make money? So one concern creates both supply uh, side systems as well as envisions creating sort of demand side uh, systems. Mm-hmm. So, so we basically are able to not just be a part of the problem by pointing out all the flaws an enterprise has, but also help them right. sort of partner with the necessary folks who can actually help them become more resilient. Right. Okay. So then in that case, it would be, I mean, there's definitely subscription revenue, but also uh, perhaps like transactional revenue um, that you can get. Um, okay. From being part of the supply and demand side. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. As a next step, then, you know, how do you balance shareholder value with your mission and culture? Because naturally, you are a venture-backed business, um, you know, looking to grow and, and make money. So there's a few things. Um, so I'm kind of thinking while I'm speaking. So please excuse me for no the, problem. <laughs> if we wanted to be a nonprofit uh, and yeah. and take that route instead yep. of raise venture capital. Mm-hmm. I feel we could still execute on the same problem set, uh, but we would be able to sort of make Palo Alto resilient rather than the world resilient. And that's not necessarily our, our mission because we feel like this problem is very, very global and very much so affects different communities around the world. And so, uh, just solving it for a particular location or a particular community is not necessarily the end game for one concern. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe there is an app which might be specifically suited to like high schoolers in California or, or something like that, which would be great um, in terms of monetizing a particular vertical, a particular location. But but our mission is more global. Mm-hmm. And so we need to take that mindset. And what I found was in order for us to be able to actually scale this globally and thereby serve our mission, we have no other option but to raise money and and actually figure out a business model. 
Now there's another perspective, which is I feel that if you look at the different things which I could be doing, right? I could be working on, let's say, five problems right now, and I'm chosen one of them, which is solving um, this issue of AI, natural disasters, resiliency, and this yep. space. I could be working on other things. I feel like if if you look at like the basic needs, um, the the Maslow's hierarchy, right. you'll find like for many, and, and those keep changing. With COVID course, is kind yeah. of flipping some of these things, <laughs> but but um, fundamentally, I feel that for some of those things, we are further ahead, but for certain others, we are still lagging behind. And there, you know, if you are focused that technology in terms of using technology to be able to better provide those services more broadly across the world there can be very very lucrative businesses uh, which could be built so i feel like you don't even have to actually validate your problem statement mm-hmm. <laughs> because the problem statement is like these many people die of hunger every day right. and these many people don't have access to power or water or internet. Right. So, so I feel like you have a much higher probability of success if you are a mission-driven company. A, from a standpoint of having a validated problem statement which has be, is being approached by century-old methods and now we have the luxury of internet and technology and data, digital, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that which gives us a unique ability to maybe look at it slightly differently. The second aspect is if you're a mission-driven company, I feel you are able to, because a big part of startups is, is being able to attract the right set of people to work yeah. on this. Yeah. You, you're, you're able to attract like an A team rather than you know and and that really i feel increases your odds of mm-hmm. of success i feel because of that reasons i feel we have a a better better hit at that success rather than a different company so shareholders um see eye to eye because the i mean the success of the company is actually driven by the fact that it's mission driven as opposed to being hindered by Correct. Being being mission driven is not like a, an afterthought for us. It's not like, oh, you know, we are kind of doing this, but now, you know, let's actually give twenty hours of or or you know twenty thousand dollars as a donation to to yeah. some other organization, and then let's figure out whether their mission aligns with one concern. I mean, we can do that, and we do do that sometimes. But of course, yeah. but more importantly, our day to day in advancing our mission is fulfilling. Um, that that social good element, um, and so therefore, I feel like uh, they're right now completely aligned shareholder yeah. value as well as doing good. Yeah, and you know, I like that you brought up Maslow's hierarchy because you know one interesting point I've always thought about in Maslow's hierarchy is the bottom part is the biggest, right? The basic needs are actually the most important. So when investors talk about TAM or you know total total addressable market. I mean, that is it, right? You have a larger addressable market. Now, of course, there's the argument that, well, do people have the money? But it turns out if you can find where the money is, right, that market can be very large. And so you're doing good and you're also addressing a big need, which means that you have a large market. Uh, you, you know, you actually touched upon a lot of the, a couple of questions that I was going to get to anyway. So I'm glad, I'm glad you talked about it uh, because the next part of it is doing good. 
my basic question is always this. In 10 years, right, when one concern is a huge success, what global challenge will you have helped solve? Um, I think the, the world needs a bunch of money um, to adapt to climate change. And I feel one concern would have played a tangible role in that. Mm-hmm. I feel that fundamentally, the climate movement needs a business model. Mm-hmm. In many situations, that doesn't exist. And I feel one concern provides that business model. Um, we have seen in our analyses that when we when we simulate these cities and how disasters uh, you know, impact cities or, or companies. Mm-hmm. We're able to see how the, the, the interconnected nature of, of economies, of, of cities, and how, you know, um, much of your risk actually comes from, from your people getting affected, from the broader community get, getting affected, and, and by, the, by the public infrastructure getting affected. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I feel public infrastructure is, you know, in the U.S. and more even globally, is is currently in in a very bad crumbling state, and it requires immediate upgrades. And I feel, given we are in such huge fiscal deficit, there needs to be a business model to show returns, uh, to be able to fund that and adapt to climate change. And I feel one concerns modeling is able to do that. Makes sense. So then in, so, and you touched on this already, but I just want to make sure that I got this right. Cause my next question is you know, why build a for-profit versus a non-profit? And you talked about it a little bit. You talked about growth. You talked about, um, you know, you can, you you could be, you can go faster. You can actually have a huge market. If somebody were to choose, right. Okay. Non-profit. And I'm sure at some point you probably thought about this, right? So did you yourself have to go through you and your co-founders? Did you guys have to go through this process of saying, should this be a nonprofit versus not? And at that time, how did you make that call? That's a good question. I, I, I think, um, as I mentioned previously, we, we were initially thinking that we, that maybe we can be a nonprofit. Um, we later realized that the only way to achieve our mission, which is planetary scale resiliency, is to be a for-profit company because otherwise we're going to end up with a resilient Palo Alto rather than a resilient world. Um, So, and then we'll only be able to fund the the wealthy cities, Um, you know, so, so that's, I think the, the, the biggest realization which we had is sort of scaling the company at a pace we, we really feel is urgent given the climate crisis at the scale we want, which is global, is necessary for the company to achieve its mission. And uh, fundamentally, the problem which we're trying to solve, as I said, is sustainability needs a business model. And one concern helps show that business model, you know, and, and expose that out in the open. So, so I feel that's really something which I would feel, you know, proud looking back if we are able to, to achieve that. Yeah. And you mentioned this, which is interesting because you say that, you know, one concern achieves a business model for sustainability. But to your point, you know, if uh, it's also in some ways uh, kind of helping with wealth inequality, a lot of the issues in sustainability uh, is that, you know, there is a lot of money maybe in Palo Alto, but not as much money in a place like, let's say, Dhaka, Bangladesh, for example. And so the idea is that doesn't mean that money can't be used in order to help people, 
right, in other parts of the world. And so if you can build a business model, then perhaps you can actually help with some of that inequality, right, the wealth inequality that exists um, and help solve some of those fundamental problems in places where they may not have the means to do it themselves. I mean, we, we don't even have to go that far, actually. Um, mm -hmm. you know, we can just go to Palo Alto and East Palo Alto. East Palo Alto, that's true, yeah. <laughs> and you, you can kind of see the, you know, the, the inequality. I mean, I was educated by one of the council members here, the local councilman, that mm -hmm. more than 50% of students of some of the school districts in, in East Palo Alto do not eat two times a day, and they're homeless. Wow. Um, and you know that that's that's shocking um, because it's like a few miles from one of the more wealthy neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. Now, if one concern is able to to show how an infrastructure upgrade in East Palo Alto leading to leading to the Dumbarton Bridge mm -hmm. is able to create business value for let's say businesses in Palo Alto as well as uh, in in the broader Silicon Valley in terms of making sure that they have a, a more resilient business and a more resilient workforce, mm -hmm. we could actually solve that issue for East Palo Alto in terms of their education systems or their infrastructure being in shambles. Right. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. All right. Well, thank you for that. Uh, that's, that's very helpful. Um, you know, I think this is a perfect opportunity now to move on to advice for the listeners, right? So you've shared a lot about your story, about, uh, about how you've gone to where you are, uh, why you do what you do. Now, what advice would you give to either founders trying to build a doing well by doing good company or professionals that are looking to work for one? I don't know whether I'm the right person to, to take advice from. Well, whether somebody takes it or not is a different story. But, you know, <laughs> well, um, but no, I'm sure people would love to hear your thoughts. So I, I think that um, when you're starting any company, I, I, I feel like there are many instances when, you know, because every day is not happy and it's like two steps forward and one step back and um, right. you're constantly doing that. Mm -hmm. And so there are several instances when you are about to give up. So, so I, I feel persistence is key and having, you know, belief in your mission is important because, because if it was so obvious to everyone, then, then everybody would do it. And so, sometimes, you know, these things don't make a rational sense or logical sense even. Right. Um, I've realized um, because, you know, we can only see a few steps ahead, um, you know, the human brain, but but sometimes you know things happen in the future which really delight you um which mm -hmm. is outside your comprehension so the one support system which has which has really worked for me is making sure that you are able to surround yourselves with the right people mm -hmm. the people who you know can tell you the good bad and the ugly the people who believe in your mission in you as an individual. And sometimes maybe they tell you, you know, you're not the right person, so step aside. Sometimes they are, they give you that much needed push, which you need in that time of despair. Mm -hmm. um, and these set of people, you need to know who to go to for what advice, because most of the times you get the wrong advice 
from or suboptimal advice because you're just asking the wrong person. Right. Uh, that I realized like three years into the journey. I, and I think you know this could be these could this could be your investors, these could be your board members, your advisors, your team members. But I think it, all of it starts from your co-founder. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's almost weird, you know, I've been so blessed with having Nicole and Tim as my Mm -hmm. co-founders, you know, because in the early days, I still remember that there have been times and I, I know there have been times when I was like, I don't know whether this is going to work, but I'm still going to try because I can't let Nicole down. Right. And (laughs) it was primarily that reason that I, you know, pushed a little more and then I was like, oh, okay, this, this actually works. So, wow. so I feel like surrounding yourself with the right people is, is one of the most important things that you can do as a founder. Awesome. Yeah, that's, that's a great advice. And how about for professionals? So let's say that you know, somebody says, I, I, you know, founding a company, a little bit difficult, but how about, how about working for a company that does well by doing good? Okay. I think that many companies are trying to do good in their own ways, of course. Um, And I feel many companies who have gone on to become very successful have had that strong mission and vision uh, of, you know, democratizing, you know, big pieces of that Maslow's triangle. So so I, I feel, you know, when you're trying to figure out where you want to work next, but let me think about how would, how would I do that? Um, I, I would try to figure it's out. It's been a while, I guess, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so how, how would I think about it? So, so I think what I would do is I would try to figure out what are the problems that I really care for, mm-hmm. you know, which, you know, and then second, I would try to figure out what problems you know, care for as in like the world needs, right? Yeah. Like, so, so yeah. what are those, like assemble all the problems which the world urgently needs solved mm-hmm. and figure out which part of, what subset of those problems am I good at solving or could I be potentially good at solving or adding value to, mm-hmm. tangible value to? And then third, like what what would I enjoy doing? And I feel I would try to work at the intersection of those three things. I would try to figure out what are the causes I, I really care for? Mm-hmm. Um, what am I really good at? And then what would I sort of enjoy doing? Because, you know, working in a company which is trying to do good, it's, you know, maybe it's in its infancy, so it's going to be a hard journey. Right. So as much as you believe in the, you believe in the mission and vision and you're pretty good at you know, working at what you're, whatever you do, you also need to sign up for a long-term commitment. So right. you need to really enjoy that journey, right? Yeah. Um, so I feel those are the three things which I would just ask people to think about. Wow, that's uh, great advice. Uh, and with that, you know, thank you again for being on the show and sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me. And that's all for today, folks. Thank you for joining us. You can find more information about One Concern and the work Ahmed and the team are doing in the show notes. Is there a company doing well by doing good you think we should talk to? If so, email us at hello at doingwellbydoinggood.co or tweet us at dwdgsf. 
And for the latest updates about DWDG podcasts and posts, subscribe to our newsletter at dwdg.substack.com or click subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Catch you on the flip side.